the Weekly Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Welcome to the Weekly Podcast from the Weekly Sofa. And last week I was so disappointed with the show because they forgot one crucial bit and that is to sing Happy Birthday. So I'm not going to tell you we sat on the sofa until we've sang Happy Birthday to Weekly Podcast. Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday to you. Happy Birthday to you. Excellent. How old are we? We are three, <laughs> Phil. Today we are three. No, last yeah. week we were three. Oh, were we? Yes. Right. Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa comes... Rachel. Hello. Harry's. We have to say that because otherwise Rach gets awfully offended. I wonder how the listener tells the difference. Rachel, Rachel. That will be it. We have... Farmer Phil. In a mood, Farmer Phil? Not at all. <laughs> and we are very pleased to have once again our star broadcaster who seems to be on the wiggly telephone on the podcast every single time I phone it up talking about zero waste, Karen. Hello. Karen's come to ask questions about spudders. Rachel's come to ask questions about sunflowers. Farmer Phil's come to answer questions on all those things and he's going to Shed a little bit of light on the Bluetooth vaccine. Or even the blue tongue vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> that famous vaccine for your telephone. <laughs> We've got a question in here from Christine Hope, from Hopes of Longtown, who is up in the hills selling Earl Grey tea, veggies and Ecova and cards and socks and anything that a village shop... And stamps. And stamps. Did you know that a village shop isn't rateable? So I've got a great idea for Blakemere Village Shop. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? So we don't have to pay rates if you're the only shop in the village. So I thought if we could run anyone else who's likely to start a shop out of town, we could be the only shop in the village and not pay any rates. Good, but what do you yeah. have to sell certain things to be a What's village shop? What's the qualification of a village shop? So you don't, don't need to, to be, be a post office these days, do no, you? No, definitely not. No, so what do you have to sell? A local shop for local, local people. people. <laughs> I think you'd have, sell, you'd have to sell toilet paper. Can we sell toilet paper? I think we could rustle that up. We could sell recycled, non-bleached yeah. toilet paper. We could sell newspaper. That's what Farmer Phil uses. <laughs> I just got this vision of putting toilet paper in the washing machine for it to be recycled. <laughs> oh. Oh. No. Listen, Christine Hope sends out a little plea. She is really into the Rural Support Network. And if folks don't know what that is, it used to be called the Rural Stress Network. I don't know why they changed the, the title at all. But it's there to help well, rural people, mostly farmers, I suppose, who get really down and get them together with somebody who can talk through the problems and maybe even practically help them out. You know, I remember one instance of one chap who uh, his wife found him just before he was going to commit suicide and, and it ended up that the chap mentored him through solving some financial problems because he hadn't done any of his paperwork. They really get down to the nitty-gritty. Anyway, 
She is a coordinator in this affair, and she says this. <clears throat> to tune into your podcast is my signal to be calm. I'm like Maslow dogs, just not eating. Anyone know what Maslow's that is? Was it Pavlov's, Pavlov's dogs? Yeah. Maslow did something else. Maslow was the hierarchy of needs. He was. He was. Yeah. <clears throat> What's Pavlo's dogs? Pavlo's dogs were the ones that thing, proved that dogs can anticipate things. Salivating dogs. Mm. Stimulating so if you show them food, they dribble. Oh, <laughs> excellent. It's a bit, bit like Hev, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to share the book you've just seen going through? Oh, well, I would if my memory was good enough to remember. How to eat. T- oh, how to eat, yeah. I said I couldn't understand why anybody would want a book on how to eat. You open mouth, shovel in, don't you? <laughs> Simple. That's my theory, yeah. anyway. <laughs> anyway, she says, anyway, I'm writing about Herefordshire Rural Support Network. We need a new logo, and I wondered if you would give a request on your podcast world, pretty please. I can't do visual creative stuff. I just can't do it. What we need is a logo that is A, rural but not agricultural or ageist. B, supportive, not desperate, as many calls if they had phoned even a week earlier could have been sorted out quicker, etc. C, looks good in colour but is also easily recognisable in black and white. D, can be altered and still looks great in any size format when expanded. Thanks, Christine. P.S. Do you know where I live to pick me up next week? (laughs) (laughs) We're going on a trip off, but we won't talk about that. So I thought we'll put that out because there's lots of people out there. And I was thinking about people that designed logos for T-shirts and all that sort of thing who might come up with something. It's worth reminding you said that the support network is mainly for, for farmers. The result of foot and mouth showed that actually it's for as much for other rural businesses. A lot of farmers have diversified. You mentioned, Rachel, post offices and their decline. All those people who have little businesses, little problems in the rural community, the stress network or the support network is for them. And so that it would be an idea if the logo could be all-inclusive. They probably don't want it to be just aimed at farmers. It's to all people now, without wishing to put an idea in anyone's head, at the moment, the logo is a sad-looking man being held in two sad-looking hands, <laughs> bowed. And he looks like nothing's going to sort it. Oh, dear. <laughs> so um, I think we need sort of a bit, of, a bit more positivity. But, you know, she, she needs a logo. Is there anyone out there that can do a logo? Well, the great connection is that podcasts are about communication. And as far as I can make out, the most beneficial aspect of the support network is communication. And the fact that if you communicate, problems, by and large, are much less. Hmm. I know lots of people that have used the Raw Support Network that unless they told you they'd used it, you wouldn't have the foggiest idea. So they seem to act behind the scenes and send the right person in. They sort of call on people who, if you've got a specific issue, they'll get that person to help you if you need it. Send your logos, please, to christine at hopesoflongtown.co.uk and write on there, this is due to the Wiggly Podcasts. So that when I pick her up next week, she buys me a beer. Mm. <laughs> Can people look at the, the current logo anywhere or find out more about the support network? I asked her um, about that and she said, 
Well, they haven't got a website. <laughs> well, they did have a brochure, but they ran out. So I think not. I think the thing is, if you want to know more, email Christine, because she is fundamentally involved in it, and she'll send you what they've got. But essentially, they are lost in terms of PR materials, which is why, dear listener, it's down to you. And uh, you will get hero status in Herefordshire, hero status, which means a small entry in the Hereford Times. <laughs> Spudders, Karen, would you like to pose your Spudder question to Farmer Phil? I would. I had one of those random thoughts as I was driving along one day, and I wondered why potatoes are in furrows with ridges rather than just digging the hole a bit deeper and chucking them in. First of all, I should say there are various ways of growing potatoes. You can either grow them in ridges, which is what you've seen, so one row of potatoes in one ridge, or you can grow them in beds, where you tend to have three rows in one tractor-width raised bed, if you like, Mm -hmm. so that it's got just a furrow to go with each pair of tractor wheels. Now, the reason that they do it, and don't just go deeper, at the moment, currently, most farmers would cultivate, potato farmers would cultivate about 10 inches of soil to produce potato tilth. Now, if you go much deeper than that, you are seriously damaging the field. You're getting into the subsoil and all the rest of it. And there have been lots of experiments conducted on how to get the maximum yield of potatoes. And the jury is out. Some people say it's in beds, three rows instead of two between the tractor wheels. But essentially, that is about the maximum you can do, whether it's in two rows with 10 inches of soil moulded up into two rows Mm -hmm. or three rows in a bed you can't get any more yield. If you get a vast crop of potatoes, you can fill the ridge up. You can see them, that they'll come right to the outside of the ridge, and then you run into problems with green ones. But it all comes down to availability of water and nutrients and space within it. But But is this why potato farming is so controversial? Because if you start moving soil from there and putting it all up over there then you're disturbing it, and obviously the worms can't bind the soil together. So when it rains and you've got the furrows coming down the hill, then that's going to make all the soil wash off. And I've seen that in the house just up the road when I went there and the soil from the field was in his house Mm. and we had to get our shovels and (laughs) shovel it out. Luckily, the carpet needed replacing. The point is that the... You have to have ridges because you obviously can't drive on the crop mm. to go through the crop to, to do what you, whether it's harvesting it or, or whatever, so that you've got these control wheelings. The direction you plant the field, according to its slope, where the water's coming from going to, is critical, but you can get yourself into awful problems because if you plant across the slope and the water washes the rows out, it'll just wash the whole lot down, rows and all, Or if you plant straight up and down the slope, the water will trickle down the hard bottom of the row and won't do as much damage. And it depends on your soil type, how much water's involved, the weather and all the rest of it. And there's no great science to that. And we've all seen problems where it's gone wrong. The controversy with potato farming is that 10 inches deep of pure tilth is much deeper and much more soil disturbance than pretty much any other crop that's grown you don't have a soil profile which has sort of small particles at the top and bigger ones further down. You have this even tilth right down to 10 inches and that makes it inherently unstable and the mechanical effort used to create that obviously doesn't do worms or anything else any good within the 
soil profile, it smashes it up essentially and it takes it a while to recover. And again, the severity of that problem depends on the soil. So that if you're on a nice silt, it's much more forgiving than if you're on a clay-type soil. That can slump, it all goes together, and the weather we've had now, we're going to see some interesting times because those people on soils that are not easy, they've got a nightmare because they've got these spuds in wet soil. The spuds are not great, there's not a huge yield of them, but the soil is just going to be like muck. And that's partly because they've smashed it into small particles and now it's all gone together in a lump. Now I heard, I mean Heather's talking about the problems with flooding, and I heard that the potato farming in Herefordshire is a big cause of the flooding here because you've got all this finely tilled soil and when it does wash down the slopes into the rivers, it fills the rivers up with silt. So then they're more likely to flood. There's certainly issues with silt in the river. I'm not sure whether I think it makes the river flood, but I do think that it harms the animals, fish and whatever else that live in the river because muddy water is not good for them by and large. Not I've, to mention the chemicals that are probably Not to mention any chemicals them. that end up in there as well. I think the flooding <laughs> is more to the point that we've got nothing to hold the water up on the land. Because land is farmed and drained, when it rains the water goes much quicker into the river mm-hmm. and you've got this huge catchment area Everything drains quicker than it would do if we'd got marshy bits, wet bits, woods and so on. So the water's got to get away quicker. Coupled with the fact that that is going on up in the Welsh mountains, in our case, that you know, just the act of digging grips across the moors, the water gets off much quicker. What's a grip, Phil? A sort of rather crude ditch that basically just catches the water and lets it run away. Just going back to those spuds, I'm going on my Nuffield. All the talk was of saving the world and making sure that everyone was fed. And the saviour crop, in many, many folks' mind, is the potato because it's more nutritious, it holds water, blah, blah. But from what you're saying, if you were to plant loads of potatoes in even more inappropriate places, it would be a short-term gain gain and a long-term complete disaster. You've heard me say before that pretty much all agriculture is some sort of compromise or other on the land. Potatoes is no different. It is a compromise. If you're careful and if you're good, it's less of a compromise. But if you insist on attacking fields which are either inappropriate or high-risk, two things are going to happen. One, you damage the field more, or, as in this year, the river floods before you've harvested them and you lose your crop. But why do we see, because, I mean, you do see it around here, fields that you know flood every year and farmers plant potatoes in them. Well, you probably heard me say a minute or two ago that silty soils are the most forgiving Mm. for growing potatoes, and silty soils are on the riverbank by definition. They also happen to be flat, which Mm. gets away from the point of water erosion from... So if it does flood and then drains quickly, that won't damage the crop? The jury's a little bit out on that, but I've been told that some people reckon that if a potato is underwater for two hours, that's enough to ruin it. I think it depends on what stage the potato's at, and I think that somewhere between two and ten hours, that will knacker it. But you're dead right, there is the risk. If you grow spuds on the best soils next to the river the river will have them, won't you? Karen, are you growing spuds? I am, yes. Have you got any of those blue ones? No. I've got some green ones. (laughs) 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 How have you got on on with them? 
They've been brilliant. Two nil. In fact, tea last night was potatoes from the garden and runner beans and parsnips. Runner beans are good this year. Mm, They obviously like rain. Yeah. We're going to go to Monty now and have a weekly fact. Monty cast a weekly fact on wiggliness. This year, my dad, Farmer Phil, has planted 16 acres of sunflower seeds for wiggly bird food. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness, next week. Thank you, Monty. Well, Karen, you should grow salad blues. Dunbar Rover are okay, especially compared to Charlton Athletic, but (laughs) salad blues are the key. We had potato blue salad. It was brilliant. Nobody ate it, so we had it for weeks. They make grey gravy. If you use the water from them, yeah. They make purple chips. And please read out the key fact as to why you're going to live longer if you eat them. Right. Okay. well, the blue pigment is an anthocyanin, and forgive the pronunciation, it's an antioxidant, and nutritionalists say antioxidants provide many health benefits including protection against cancer and other diseases. Is that the blue bit then? Must be the blue bit. I should say so. Do you get a blue tongue when you eat them? A blue tongue when you eat them? Yeah, or blue tooth. Or blue tooth. (laughs) (laughs) And this moves me over in true Tony Blackburn style to the blue tooth tongue vaccine, Phil. Yes! (laughs) Well, blue tongue, more controversy, isn't it? So... At long last, the, the powers that be have issued us with our vaccine. For those who don't know about blue tongue, it is a, a disease that is actually coming at us from Europe and it affects just sheep and cattle. And the government, in the form of DEFRA, have instigated a policy whereby we vaccinate our stock. We're not obligated to vaccinate them, but they are quite keen for us to vaccinate them and it is at our cost. And they have rolled the vaccine out based on protection and surveillance zones, which essentially are zones of risk from where the last infection was or where the perceived infection is coming from. And to that end, we've gradually worked across the country. We've got as far as vaccinating our stock once. The initial vaccination is two shots three weeks apart. The vaccine... Where do you shoot it? You shoot it under the skin. So So you lift the skin up? Lift the skin up in their side. It's quite easy, one cc each. There's no great complication to that. But the vaccine is supplied with the warning that your animals may look or feel unwell for a couple of three days after the vaccine. Now, as a result of that, there have been circulating within the farming community any number of stories of dire consequences of vaccinating your stock. And I have to say that I haven't experienced any of the problems that our stock didn't look ill after we vaccinated the rumors that i've heard are that you get dead calves oh i mean it's it it covers all possibilities all these possibilities but from my point of view i haven't seen it in mine and i suspect that they are originating from two sources that those people who don't want the expense of vaccinating are using them as an excuse not to And those people who are having problems for whatever other reason are tending to blame it on the vaccine. And it's, I suppose, in part due to a deep mistrust of DEFRA 
because the comments come back to me that DEFRA know that the vaccine causes problems, but they're never going to admit it. Now, if the vaccine did cause problems, I am quite confident that DEFRA would only admit it under the severest of pressure. But for my part, I don't think the vaccine has caused us any problems. And should we get blue tongue, that will cause far more. Ah, because you've had salad blue potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) What is interesting at the moment is that because of EC regulations, we as a country, farmers in this country, are allowed to import stock from Europe where blue tongue is rife. Now this, I think, is absolutely outrageous. All the blue tongue cases this summer in this country have been from imported stock, whether they've been tested, vaccinated, whatever, they have all been from imported animals. And I cannot, for the life of me, see why we are allowing anybody to import stock, partly because blue tongue comes in a number of strains and we're only vaccinating against one of them, Now, if we get one of the other strains in here, we've got no defence against that at all, and our vaccination will be a complete waste of time. That is another reason for distrusting DEFRA. They will claim it's EEC rules. My point is that if the roles were reversed, would France let it happen? I think not. Oh, they'd be up in arms. They'd have a big convoy. They'd have strikes. Strikes. Roadblocks. Oh, and in fact, we've got a union rap in the room too, haven't we? In the past, have they? In the past. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just over to my left. Anyway, while we're on the subject of DEFRA, shall I read out this review that we've got from iTunes? Why not? It's about <laughs> last week's show. OK, it's a five-star review from Boo Book, whoever that is, and it says, From Ricardo's imaginative verbal picture of the house martins through Farmer Phil's trenchant views on DEFRA's jobsworths, needing to give a derogation, I'm still not sure what a derogation is, <laughs> to give a derogation to allow farmers to use heavy machinery on their waterlogged land to harvest in current weather conditions, plus interesting info on hops and the balanced view that not all farmers are cursing the rain. This episode was a wiggly classic. Imaginative, informative and balance were all there. Thank you so much, though I did miss Heather's manic humour. Just, what does she mean by that? Just for the record, <laughs> Rachel, a derogation occurs when somebody's made a duff rule. OK. So what it is, they say, do this, and when conditions are different, they say, oh, no, don't do it then. Do the other thing do the that other I told thing. you not to do. Exactly. OK, I understand. Now, that. we've just got a few minutes for Rachel to quiz Farmer Phil on sunflower, because we've just done our sunflower emus and we have loads of sunflowers leaving the building. Mm. And you've got some questions. Well, I want to know, how come you can grow sunflowers in the south of France and in Herefordshire? And why aren't more people growing sunflowers here? Probably because they're sane. <laughs> 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 well, there's two things. That varietally, there are lots of differences. So the variety that we grow is, in theory, a better variety for growing in less warm conditions. So it tends to grow shorter and it tends to have smaller heads, and the heads hang completely upside down when they're right, like a shower head, so that when it rains on them, the rain tends to run off rather than rot all the seed. So that's a varietal thing. In terms of the practicalities, because in not-so-sunny Herefordshire we end up combining our sunflowers in November, December, this year it'll probably be March, the way I'm going on, but that means we're trying to combine them in the wet, which doesn't do the field any good at all. So we have to try and choose the driest fields that we think we can get onto without making a mess. I had originally intended to try and do it in a hard frost, like the Canadians do. And that would work, except that we haven't had 
any frosts at the right time that have been hard enough to do it. But essentially the reason is that I'm balmy and mm. the French have a better climate to make sense of it. But we do love them though, don't they? Just going out in the sunflower field, even when it was b***ing down with rain, it was... I don't know that you so can say b***ing down. Can you say diatomaceous earth? <laughs> no, <laughs> diatom... I can if you... Diametaceous earth. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what I can say though, Heather, I can say heliotropic. Mm. What does that mean? Tell us about heliotropism. Heliotropism. Well, that's something that our sunflowers have not been managing to exhibit. They're all confused and they're all facing in all directions. And to be heliotropic, I believe they've got to be able to see the sun. And then they all line up and look at it. And they will turn round with the sun each day. But at the moment, they're all facing in all directions. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. When you go out there, they do look completely confused. They do. They do. Um, the stems weigh... Tons. Quality product. Does that mean that's a really good um, product to use as straw or something? Because when you put 10 sunflowers in a box, pick it up, you go, ooh, because it just, you know, they look like they weigh nothing, but they're raving heavy. I know they're good for composting, aren't they? They're very good for composting. What do they do? Well, the centres rot out, and so then if you put them in a compost pile, they create natural air channels. So they aerate your compost, and as Alison pointed out as well, they let all the bugs crawl inside as well. Mm. So very I think good. the reason that ours are so thick this year is that because the crop is thin, because the slugs thinned it out at planting, they've got plenty of space. They've had no shortage of water. They're What's healthy. What's this? This is slugs having a beneficial effect on a crop. No, they no. are. They virtually destroyed it. And ah, okay. Had I not managed to catch up with the little varmints and apply some slug baits, there wouldn't be a sunflower there. Last year, Patrick lost his entire crop and we had a job to work it out, but it was slugs and they ate every plant. There wasn't one. Who's Patrick? Patrick is my sunflower-growing colleague from across the river. Oh. Team sunflower. Are there more sunflowers in Herefordshire then? Only one lot, and that's Patrick. Ah. He's paused from sunflower growing at the moment due to the shock of a total crop loss last year. It <laughs> so upset he... him terribly, <laughs> and he's now trying to avoid a total crop loss of wheat this year. Well, there you go. Just Everything you need to know on sunflowers. But what do you use them for? Do they all go into the bird seed, apart from the ones that go into the boxes of sunshine? Ours do. We use all ours for bird seed. The French use them for oil, and I believe they can. some can go for human consumption in as seeds and you can split them up and have hearts which is another human consumption possibility or equally bird food they're quite a versatile thing but they're not terribly high yielding you don't get and even the french don't get a huge yield and we certainly don't get a huge yield but they're quite low input we don't use very much fertilizer on them just a little bit to start them off and we use no fungicides on them we have tried fungicides on them and it didn't seem to make any difference and we kill a pre-emergent, nothing more thereafter. Cause there's quite... loads of ladybirds on them and loads mm. of bees. Mm. Well, we, there's no insecticides, nothing's going to go on them that's going to hurt that. We've sent a few out in the boxes. The ladybirds? <laughs> yeah, free oh. ladybird with every order. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guarantee that, Heather? No. <laughs> <laughs> now then, um, if you go to our Facebook group, we've now got 214 discussion topics you can see a picture of Farmerfield combining with Alison waving a red flag out of the window. <laughs> and Rob Haig has written this on the wall, which I thought you'd be interested in, talking about slugs. Just been checking the flower beds after a few days of using the slug-gone wool pellets. They look to be a winner. No plant damage, 
just little sluggy trails approaching the plants and veering off <laughs> as soon as they encounter the wool. Yay, Wiggly! <laughs> so um, go to the Facebook group if you want to join in with all sorts of chitty-chatty and try not to miss the Terry Walton Do, which is on October the 10th, 1999. No, uh, 2008. So if you're listening to this in 2010, <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind at all. So it's bye from me on the weekly sofa. And bye from me. And bye from me. And bye from me. Hope to talk to you next week. <laughs>